At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. Good morning. Do we serve an amazing God or what, eh? What an amazing morning. We get to sit here and worship the God of all creation. We get to come together as a family of God, forgiven, redeemed, and sanctified in Christ. We get to sit at his table and enjoy communion in anticipation of Christ's return. And one day, we get to do this forever with him. And there he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Amen? Amen. I am struck over and over of how undeserving of his grace I am. And yet how much he loves me. And how much he loves you. And how we get to have these small glimpses of heaven. Just a taste of what it will be when we get to worship God and to enjoy him forever. For those that don't know me, my name is Glenn Aronson. My wife and I are members here. And somehow, by the grace of God, I get to stand before you today and share with you from the word of God. I was thinking over the last couple weeks, and my wife always says that's a little dangerous when I do that. But I, I do it anyways. And, uh, but I was, I was thinking about how God has really given us everything we need in Christ. He didn't hold some things back. He didn't decide that he was only going to give you a part of what you needed. He didn't make your salvation part grace or part works. You didn't have to earn it, and it's not like a gas gauge where it could run itself to empty. He gave you everything in Christ that you need. I was 32 years old when I came to Christ, and I remember early on reading the New Testament and thinking, man, if, if people really do live like this, how wonderful that would be. How amazing that Jesus calls us to unity and to compassion, to love, to peace, to meekness, to be salt and light. And the people I was meeting early on who would disciple me showed me quite a few of those traits in their life. They were meek yet strong. They were humble yet confident. And they were focused on others, yet cared for their own. I was pretty amazed, actually. Six months after receiving Christ, though, I was laid off from my job. And I remember joking with them at the time, saying, you said it was going to get good when I came to know Christ. And instead, I got laid off. But I will say this. In truth, God gave me a great peace during that time as my life transitioned to a new job and a new career in sales along with a pay cut that I took for that too. But at the same time, a part-time position came open at the church that we were at, and uh, it worked with my new sales career by the hours. And as it was a large church, they had a small print shop where they had printed bulletins and other handouts, and uh, the small press operator there was leaving. And so uh, as my career was in printing, uh, I was offered the job, and I took it. And in the first few weeks, I met a lot of the staff there. And one of the pastors 
who became a very dear friend and mentor of mine, uh, came down to meet me, and we talked, and I shared with him my testimony uh, when he asked, and he learned that I was very, very new in the faith. And near the end of our conversation, he said two things to me that uh, I've held on to ever since. The first thing he said was that now that I was in, for lack of a better term, kind of the bowels of the church, um, that I may see and hear some things that uh, don't always make sense with the faith that I'm learning. So he asked me to do him a favor, and he said, please don't take it out there, and he pointed towards the sanctuary. He said that people come here to worship God, and please don't do anything that would hinder them from that. And then he said to me that my office is at the end of the hall. My door is always open to you. Bring your questions and your thoughts to me. We'll talk about them, we'll pray about them if necessary, we will cry about them if necessary, but please don't harm people's ability to worship here. While that still resounds with me as some of the best advice I've ever been given in the church, early on it was an indicator to me that things might not be always as rosy as I was kind of envisioning them to be. In time, I learned what he was talking about and I took him up on that open door. Craig always took me back to God in every one of those conversations. He held up, upheld everything that he said, and not everyone did, else did. I started to learn that the church, while called to unity, is still a place with people, fallen and still forgiven, and always giving me the opportunity to exhibit grace. If you've been in the church for any length of time, I'm sure you've had more than a few opportunities to exhibit grace to others. At times, I know in my life, I've had opportunities to have people exhibit grace towards me. When I first came to Christ, I somehow thought that Christians somehow became like Teflon-coated. Problems might come, but they don't stick, you know? Especially in the church. But that truly hasn't been my experience, and I doubt it's been most of yours. The juxtaposition of these two experiences, though, can be confusing. It can and has caused some to give up on church completely. It's caused others to change churches on somewhat of a regular basis, but to do either one of those, you'd have to dismiss all of what we read in the New Testament. And that's why I'm thankful for these letters. 1 Corinthians is a letter where Paul is trying to get the people of God to live in a consistent way. And it's not easy. Even churches with vibrant ministries are still filled with flawed men and women and children full of spiritual weaknesses. It is so easy to get off track. So where do believers find the faith and the strength to live out a consistent faith? When do we realize that in Christ we have far more that unites us than divides us? And how are you living out this faith? And in whose strength are you doing it? I'm grateful that we have this sermon series that we're calling Divided, where we're examining what it means to follow Christ in a culture that is divided among almost all imaginable lines. It'd be a mistake that this is only happening outside the church. It happens within the church, too. The Corinthian church is a great example of people rich in faith, but poor in practice. Paul wrote to them to encourage them in the faith and to exhort them to consider the error of some of their ways. This letter should encourage and exhort us in the same ways. He encourages them and us to see clearly that their shared faith should cause them to live differently. 
in community with one another. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to be reading what is listed for us as verses 4 through 9. But first, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your love that you've poured out to us through him, the one who unites us all, who have trusted him as our Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for your grace given us through his shed blood, for your spirit that you have poured out among us and lives within us to direct us in right paths. Father, thank you for your patience with us and for promising that you will never leave us nor forsake us. May we come to your word now with open hearts and minds. Please, Father, mold us to be more like Jesus. And we ask, Father, in this day and in this hour, have your way with us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, the word of God says this. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Many times in Paul's letters to the churches, he refers to specific Christ-like characteristics of the believers in the church. To the Romans, he states, your faith is being reported all over the world. To the Ephesians, he wrote, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. To the Philippians, he writes about their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. To the Colossians, he writes, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. And to the Thessalonians, this is one of my favorites, he writes about their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by hope. I often wonder, what would his words of encouragement be to Woodside Lapeer? How would he encourage us? It was a wonderful trait in Paul's life that he always sought to find something thankworthy in the lives of fellow believers. Even if their practical lives were not very commendable, he would still at least thank God for what God has done for them. And that is exactly what Paul does in this letter. The Corinthians were not what you may think of as mature or spiritual Christians. Yet Paul gave thanks that God had supplied them with everything they need. In the verses today we read, Paul is telling them that they are rich in the right things, which is my first point today. We are rich in the right things. And what are those right things? Well, look at me at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Nothing starts in our life or in the life of the church if we do not have God's grace his unmerited favor. God's grace is foundational to the Christian faith. There's even an acronym for it, and I love putting hooks on things so I can remember them. 
But the acronym is this, God's Riches at Christ's Expense, right? That's exactly what it is. It's God's riches that we've been given because of why? Well, it was at Christ's expense that we have that. Through God's grace, we have salvation, forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God, access to God's throne, which still totally blows me away, that we can just enter into God's throne and he listens to us and he sees us and he answers us. Imagine trying to walk into the, the president's office or the queen's office and just trying to have a conversation with them. There is no way that you would absolutely get through the labyrinth of people and policies that it would take to have an audience with them. But with God, you actually have immediate and complete access to the God of all creation. In his grace, you have the ability to endure trials and his sustaining power in our Christian walk. That is amazing grace. Yet grace isn't just a noun. It's not just what, about it, what it does for us. Grace, once received, becomes a verb. It indicates our actions, our processes, our state of being. Grace is not only to us, but it's supposed to be through us. In Ephesians 4, Paul speaks of putting off the old self and putting on your new self and ends the chapter saying this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You could paraphrase it like this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, gracing one another as God in Christ graced you. Once we receive grace, we're to become that well that gives it away for life to others. And that in itself could be another sermon for another day, because I absolutely need that sermon. Yet my point here is, though, through his grace, we are rich in the right things. So what are those right things besides grace, you ask? At least I thought I heard you asking that. Paul continues in verse 5, writing, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Enriched in all speech and knowledge. The Greek words there are logos and gnosis, and they are the two gifts that the Corinthians seem to have majored in and also took the most pride in. Paul addresses them in chapters 12 and 14 of this book, but he addresses them as they continue to struggle with their proper use and understanding. Logos is the word or message. It has to do with our outward expression. It's the gift of speaking. Gnosis is knowledge. It's an inward comprehension. So it was the gifting of outward expression and inward comprehension that Paul is praising God for here. And that attests to verse 6, where Paul writes, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. It's the presence of these spiritual gifts that affirms and confirms the truth of the apostles' message. It was because of the gospel, not human wisdom that was so prevalent in the Corinthian culture, but it was the gospel that provided the believers with these gifts. Yet Paul continues beyond these two essential gifts of grace, and in verse 7 writes, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our ultimate desire and hope is the return of Jesus Christ in glory. Amen? But even Paul, in recognizing that, pushes them and us to know that while we wait, God has equipped us with everything we need to live authentic lives of faith. And with that, we are equipped to advance the gospel message through our gifting and our lives. We're not lacking in any gift. We're equipped with everything we need. 
And if you take a brief study of the New Testament to mark each reference to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be struck with the fact that almost without exception, when the coming of Christ is mentioned in the New Testament, it is followed by an exhortation to godliness and holy living. We'll miss the whole point of the prophecy of his return if it doesn't conform us to the Lord Jesus in our daily living. And God has supplied us with these gifts, and we're not lacking in them. So why did God give us these gifts? Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it states this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, we use it to serve one another as good stewards of, very, of God's varied grace. In Ephesians 4.12, Paul writes, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. We're kind of like God's UPS drivers. Now, I don't want to wear the brown shirt and shorts and socks and black shoes. That doesn't really, it's not very good look on me. But could you imagine at Christmas time if a UPS driver decided just to not deliver the gifts that he would have been entrusted to deliver? If he just looked at the boxes, opened them up, and took what he liked and decided never to deliver them to the proper recipient? Think about it. That person would probably make the nightly news, right? We would be rightly mad at them that our gift wasn't delivered to our loved one. We buy them with care and consideration for the person who's to receive them, but the driver decided that he just didn't want to carry out his job, that he wanted to keep the gift for himself, and we would consider him to be inherently selfish. That's not a good dude, right? But God gave us these gifts to deliver to others. They're not given to us that we might have personal glory. He gave them to us that he might achieve that glory through us. And that only happens when we give them away. Paul expounds on this in Romans 12 where he writes, For just as each of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." CT just spoke about that a moment ago. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God has equipped each of us individually just as he did the Corinthians, to serve one another with their gifts. So this begs the question, what is your gift? What are you meant to share with this church? What are you doing with this gift? God equipped you. He put the box in your truck. Are you delivering it to his church? One of the problems is that many believers don't know how God has gifted them. They have been given a tool to use in the building of the kingdom of God, yet they have no idea what it is. Or maybe they know what it is, but they're just not sure how to use it. And this is really one of the benefits of being part of a faith community like Woodside. If you participate in our Next Steps program that they just spoke about, you can take a spiritual gifts inventory that will help you learn how God has gifted you and be with others that confirm, can confirm your gifting. 
Spiritual gift tests can really only go so far. Your gifting should be evident to others. If I read through a test that says that I'm gifted in teaching, and then I get up here and I can't hold a consistent thought or jump all over the map trying to say something that truly never gets across, then you have a right and probably an obligation to tell me that it's, it might quite possibly not be my gift. But if you learn what your gifting is, then you can learn how to use your gifts to serve God's people in the church and advance the gospel locally and globally. For those that do know what your spiritual gifts are, the questions become, are you currently using your gift to bless others? Are you using your gifts to share the gospel with the next generation in kids' ministry? They absolutely need people. Are you using your gifts to invest in the lives of students? Are you using your gifts to invest in the lives of others here? I know a lot of you are. But I can tell you this, as Woodside prepares for the fall ministry, we would love to have you utilize the richness that God has given you in your spiritual gifts to serve the church family here. And I know there are times that what holds us back is some of the pain we may have felt in church. Jerry spoke to that just a little bit ago. As I spoke of earlier, sometimes we see and hear things in the church that just don't make sense. And that leads to my next point, though. We are safe in the right relationship. Look back at verses 8 and 9. It says, As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul here expresses the confidence that the Lord will also confirm or sustain the saints to the end, that they might be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we can notice that Paul's thanksgiving is concerned more with what God will do rather than what the Corinthians have done. They are gifted people. They're just not an exceptionally principled people. Yet Paul continues to draw them back to Christ. Because they trusted Christ and because God confirmed that fact by giving the gifts of the Spirit to them, Paul is confident that God will keep them for himself, just like he will keep you for himself. And Paul's assurance of this is based on God's faithfulness. Paul knows that God has gone to such a tremendous cost to bring them to himself. He will never let them slip out of his hands, and neither will he let you. Can you see how we're safe in the right relationship? Years ago, my friend Craig, who I told you about earlier, actually introduced me to another man in the church that became another mentor for me. I was in my 30s, and Neil was in his 60s, and Neil was starting a new ABF, or Adult Bible Fellowship. Some of us just called it Adult Sunday School at the time, but um, he was trying to flesh out what it looked like to be in a safe community. I love Neil's story. He came to faith when he was 12 years old, sitting in front of his family radio. This had to be the 1940s. He grew up in the church. Neil had an amazing faith, yet he also knew the pains of things that can happen in the family of God. So he was trying to see if you could assemble a group of believers that could actually be open and honest and safe. Craig introduced us as he knew my background in Alcoholics Anonymous, which as a group of people go is probably one of the safest groups of people that, I've, uh, that I know of. He knew my willingness to be open and that one of my giftings was mercy. 
He also knew my willingness not to judge other sins as I knew and still know that any sin for me is only the right uh, temptation and the right opportunity away if I'm not mindful of whose I am. In AA, we actually call them YETS, yeah, another acronym, and it means you're eligible too. So you think you would never do that? No, no, no. You're eligible too. We're all eligible for that. What Neil and I came to as a conclusion was in our faith, it is possible to create an environment for a safe community, but it ultimately will always have cracks. It'll always fail in some ways. It'll always fail somehow this side of heaven. Even our closest relationships aren't always safe. But what will never fail is our safety in God through Christ. Our safety ultimately only resides in knowing the work of God through the Holy Spirit that allows us to be able to endure the challenges of this life, even the challenges of church life. Every believer wrestles with sin and sometimes gives in to temptation. I know I do, far more than I ever really would care to admit. Yet I know that we never fully fall from grace because it's the work in Christ that holds us. We don't have some sort of conditional security in Christ if I do the right things and I get to remain in him. We have complete security, eternal security in Christ. We persevere because God preserves and sanctifies those who are his until the end. He will sustain you until the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how does Paul summarize that? The first three words of verse 9. God is faithful. He is the one who gives us grace. He is the one who empowers us with gifts. And he is the one who sustains us, protects us, guides us, and guards us. God is faithful. We have safety with God because of our fellowship with his son, Jesus. It is only through Christ that any of these gifts are given. And our fellowship begins when we repent of our sin and believe the gospel. When we place our faith in the one that was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect and sinless life, who died a sacrificial death on a cross to redeem sinners, and who was raised again on the third day, defeating sin and death. That's our safety. That's what we can count on. God is faithful. And look, I know it's not easy. It's not. I really wish it was. I really also wish that God would have just done away with my old nature so that I didn't have to wrestle with it all the time. I'd rather not have to say with Paul from Romans 7, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate to do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But after all that, Paul says this, Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful, and he is our safe place. And then you and I can know the truths from Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In Galatians 2.20, where it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin be sin for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I asked at the beginning, how are you living out this faith? And in whose strength are you doing it? We can do this in his strength. We will always fail if we try to do it in our own strength. Dear Heavenly Father, Abba, Daddy, thank you so much for your riches that you have given us in Christ Jesus. For loving us so much that you would send your only begotten son to die in our place. To bear our sin on that cross. And to rise again on the third day. Defeating sin and death. We look forward to Christ's return, Father. But in the meantime, while you tarry, help us to be faithful. You have given us so much, but not just for us to hold on to, not for us to sing of our own glories or our own praises, but Father of yours. Lord, we do get that only by giving it away and giving it back to you. Father, that you care so deeply about all that you have created, that you have placed us now as your ambassadors, as your representatives, that we might show your love, your care, your grace to a lost and dying world that seems, Father, at times to be spinning faster and faster out of control. But Lord, you have placed us here for this time, for a time such as this, to shine your light and to proclaim your love and to show them the way. So Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to plant seeds and to water them that you would continue to help us to build into the lives of the youth in this church and the young ones. That we'd continue to uphold and, and help one another, that we'd encourage one another all the more as the day approaches. Thank you for your faithfulness, Father. Thank you that we can enter before you even this moment with complete access to you because you love us and you know us. And that when we turn away from evil ways, Father, that when we turn back on that road, that you run up the road to greet us. I am so grateful for so much that you've shown us in Scripture of your great love for us. Father, help us to embrace that this day and this week as we go out into this world. Thank you for promising to watch over us, for never letting us be out of your hand. And so, Father, help us to use our gifts to edify and to build up the body of, the, of Christ, Christ's bride. And for that, we will give you thanks and praise forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.